0: Let's try Romans 8 today. Maybe verse 32. Okay, now I've been swinging around verse 32 for a long time. We're going to try to finish verse 32 today because there's a verse 33 after that. And we are working our way all the way to verse number 39. And it is my hope that you will know... The security you have in the love of God. That's what this section is dealing with especially. We are secure in God's love. And that's an important thing for all of us to know. And so, verse number 31 and 32, I'm just going to read these two verses. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Especially that last phrase, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Heavenly Father, as we go again into your word, as we go again to see what you have said about your love for us, I pray, Lord, that uh, your word hits home today. Aim it straight at our hearts. Thoroughly convince us of your love. Through the words that we see today, we know it's powerful. We know it's active. We know it's always accomplishing what you send it out to do. So we ask that it be done in us today as we seek to understand these words. Thank you for them. And thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going, to, I'm going to start this way. As kids, all of you probably have said this sometime in your life. Maybe you still do. Um, but if somebody in the crowd says something remarkable, uh, like, you know, I could take three steps and jump over the moon. What's the words you usually follow with? Prove it. Remember that? How many times do you think you've said that in your life? When somebody said something, Ah, no. You said, Prove it. Prove it. You've got the essence of what we're going to study here today. I'm going to give a couple of illustrations, and they're not perfect. It's hard to get perfect illustrations for something that's so perfectly said anyway. And yet I want to start with a couple of illustrations today just to get you thinking into a certain way that we're going to study here today. There is a concept that we have grown to know pretty well called collateral. When we go and take out loans and things of that, we, we pledge a security something for the repayment of the loan to, matter of fact, it's, it's stated in such a way that we forfeit it if we do not pay. We, we use words like security or guarantee, we use words like insurance, uh, on things of that nature. Now, the basic idea to this is that if, if a loan is to be secured with collateral, that the collateral has to at least equal the value of the loan or exceed it. You never take collateral if it's less than what what you're loaning out. So that's an important aspect that, that we want to, to mention just as we start, just a concept that collateral must meet or exceed the loan. Like, here's a little example. I'll give it to you. Now, Jack, say I wanted to borrow a dollar for you, from you today, okay? Just during the service, and I promise I'll give it back to you at the end of the service. But now you're starting to wonder if you've got a dollar in your pocket, right? No. It, it, we're just make-believe, okay? So I say, Jack, I'll tell you. I'll make a deal with you. you. You loan me the dollar for the service, and I promise to pay it back, and as collateral, I'll give you the keys to my truck. Now, I saw his eyes. You know what He's thinking. I hope you forget. <laughs> right? I'd love to keep... Well, um, that, that would greatly exceed the value of the dollar, wouldn't it? But you know, if I gave you the dollar back, you'd have to give me my keys back. That's part of the deal, right? We, we understand that. We, we do things like that, especially if you're buying homes and things like that. We've got an idea of what collateral is all about. It's just a promise secured by something of equal or more value. Now. Like I said, it's not a perfect example of what we're looking at here today. But when we start talking about God's love for us, he has guaranteed that love with something he has done. And what he has done in verse 32 is he's given his son. That far, far exceeds what we benefit from. He gave his son. And we have earned, we have gotten our salvation from that. We we see the promise of his love for that. We see the rest of this verse. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Really, what we have on this side is so much smaller than what God has set up in the first place in giving His Son. All right, that's one concept. So hold that to your side just for a second here. Another concept um, with that whole thing is this: that you know. We make promises and we guarantee them with certain things. And people say, well, you know, we used to be able to do that with a handshake, right? You remember those days? you get a handshake, you knew it was a guarantee. But over the years, we've grown to trust people less, haven't we? Trust has been abused in many different ways. Back in the days of Jesus, if somebody came to you with a message and said, I have a message from the Lord... They wanted some sort of evidence, some sort of proof. you gotta, you got to put something up with that to make me convinced that that's a message from God. And what the expectation was is that you could do something miraculous. I mean, to say, you know, oh, you've got a message from God, and they say, okay, how are you going to prove that? And you say, well, uh, I'll make you some bagels. I mean, anybody could do that. But if you say, I can make you bagels from rocks, that sounds miraculous all of a sudden, doesn't it? So there, there is a way that messengers were authenticated, is the term, by miraculous things. When Moses was told to go to, to the people and tell them while they're in slavery in Egypt that God had sent him with a message and they were going to be released from Egyptian bondage, uh, Moses said to God, he says, well, how am I ever going to prove that to them? And God says, what do you have in your hand?" He says, a staff. He says, throw it down. Remember the story? When he threw that staff down, it became a snake. Now, that's pretty miraculous. Don't try that, by the way. We don't need more snakes. All right? But but he threw that down and there was a snake. And then God says, now, pick it back up. And when he did, what happened? It turned back to the staff. That was one thing. The other thing he says, now put your hand inside of your coat, your robe, pulled it out, it was leprous. That's not good. He says, now put it back in, pulls it, puts it in, pulls it out, it's healed. That's miraculous. Right, so God sent Moses with these signs to validate, to verify, to, to confirm that the message was true. It's because we live in a world where we have to see it to believe it. And it's hard to see God, isn't it? And it's hard to to see even the concept when it says God loves you. That's hard to understand sometimes too. We want something tangible. We want something visible. We want, want to be able to mark something like that. Well, God did do that. He sent his son. And he did not spare his own son. He delivered his son up for us all. Evidence of God's love for us. We'll add that's what I thought in a few minutes. But the fact that God loves you so very much, love is a term we've come to not trust as much as we used to. In our day and age, it's a word that people have said, and they've done little to show it. Little to support it. Some of you have had some very difficult times because of that. The basic idea, remember, of an engagement ring was part of a promise, wasn't it? A promise of one that would soon uh, come to wed you. It was a promise of a wedding ring. The wedding ring to remind us of faithfulness within marriage. That we've made a promise to one another. Now, God did not technically work with collateral loans. God did not give us a wedding ring. He did give us a promise. He did give us a pledge. He did give us something that sealed us as well. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about the Holy Spirit being that, as a pledge of our inheritance. We have been given assurances over and over and over again of God's great love for us, but one of the passages that sealed it, really, if I could use the word, that really anchored it in my heart was Romans five eight. And though we're in Romans 8, just back up to Romans 5.8. I'll bring you to this passage a thousand times more in my lifetime. Because it means so much to me. The words say in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates or commendeth, you may have if you have a King James out there. He commendeth or he demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the fact that Christ died for us is the evidence of God's love. But here's what's interesting. In the terminology you're looking at right now, the word demonstrates is what we call the present tense in the Greek, which means it's got an ongoing aspect, and it's not like he did it once, and you're supposed to try to remember that. It's that he continually demonstrates his love toward us continually the word is to exhibit the, the term is, is the idea that he sets it, sets it before you and sets it before you and sets it before you and sets it before you continuously showing his love for you and every time he does it he points to the cross that's side for you now that is an ongoing thing with God even today he demonstrates his love toward you He did it yesterday, by the way. And he'll do it again tomorrow. Because God wants to convince you of his love. And I have thought that, you know, I enter into a topic like this, and I say, which verses don't I share with you today? There are so many verses in Scripture that say the exact same thing. God is always trying to show you he loves you. And he's always setting that cross up before you to prove it. That's the picture we have in front of us today. And I wanted you to see that as we go into Romans chapter 8 here, and verse number 32, in the last part of it, because there was a statement given in verse number 32, a statement given, and the call for an answer. He did not spare his own son. We've talked about that. That's a fact. He delivered him over for us all. That we've talked about too. That's a fact. The question that goes with that is this. How will he now also with him freely give us all things? Now is there an expected answer to that kind of a question? There certainly is. There certainly is. It's all based on the fact that God loves you so very much. He did not shield His Son from the sin, the humiliation, the torture, the pain, the judgment, the death that you know we deserved. Jesus took our place. He was innocent of all these things, but He took our place, and the Father did not protect Him from them. And even more amazing is the Father gave Him over to those things He delivered him up as one would turn in a criminal. He gave him over to an evil system. He he gave him over to a system run by evil men who falsely accused him, who improperly tried him, who inaccurately condemned him, who innocently, while he was innocent, executed him for the sins of the very men who put him there, and for our sins as well. But you know what? There was no other way to redeem mankind. There was no other way in God's plan for the penalty of the law of sin to be dealt with. So God made a declaration. He loved us enough to slay his own son. And that's a remarkable statement so that you, so that I can have an eternal relationship with the Father. Isn't that remarkable? Just incredible. See, our songs of praise are going to reverberate in heaven forever because of that. We won't get enough time, even with eternity not separated by time or limited by time, we're going to say it's still not enough to praise Him, for what He's done for us. So, the question we look at today is very easy to state and very easy to respond to. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? There shouldn't be any doubt in our mind as we enter into this. Now you may start to wonder, well, what do you mean by all things? We'll talk about that. But first let's convince you. If God loves you enough to give his son for you, how can you possibly doubt that he won't give you everything else you need? How can you doubt it? One commentator said, compared to Jesus, everything else is smaller. See, through Jesus, we have salvation, right? Through Jesus, we have mercy. Through Jesus, we have received grace. Through Jesus, we have received this love. Through Jesus, we have received this forgiveness. Through Jesus, we have hope. And we have our redemption. And through Him we have been given the Spirit. And we've been given an identity as the children of God. Can I keep going on with this kind of a list? On and on and on. In Ephesians chapter 1, there is a list given to us. Ephesians 1, it starts in verse number 3, and it goes all the way through, well, the rest of the chapter practically. I'm not going to read that all, but I'm going to say this. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's not some spiritual blessings, not even most spiritual blessings, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. And when you go through the list, It says in verse 4, He chose us. In verse 5, He predestined us as sons. He was kind to us. In verse number 7, He gave us redemption. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us grace. He lavished on us wisdom and insight so He made known to us the mystery of His will. In verse number 9. It goes on in verse number 11 to say we've obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 13, we were sealed in Him in the Holy Spirit. Now, that is that is a very small sample of what everything is all about it's a very small sample of such a thing but we have that you see we have that we're not earning that it doesn't come to us if we if we've done enough to as game people would know this you can level up to the next blessing right it's not like this We're not earning our way into his his, uh, love. He loves you. That's the fact. He's already done this. He's already given this to you. You already have these things in him. Now I'm going to tell you why that's important when we get to the very end of our thoughts today. Oh, I hate the suspense, don't you? But we've got to have a little suspense here. After giving us his own son, what is there that he can withhold from us, if it is really for our good? He's given to us everything. He did not spare his son. He delivered him over for us all. Let me give you a a story I thought was really quite nicely said. It was from uh, Dwight L. Moody. He says, suppose I go into the finest jewelry store in the land, and they bring out the loveliest diamond, and the owner says, it's yours. And I say, you don't mean that you're giving me this valuable diamond. He says, yes, I'm giving it to you. If he gave it to me, do you think I would hesitate asking him for a piece of brown wrapping paper to wrap it in and take it home with me? My friend, since God gave his son to die for you, don't you know that he is going to give you everything that is necessary in this life and in this life to come? Everything else is like the brown wrapper in comparison to the diamond he's already, already given you. You're getting the picture, I know you are. But this is what I've seen as I've studied this through. He gave his son as a proof that he will give us all that we need, all that we need. You think of the whole of of the Christian life and all that we need, I would say among all those things, we need His work in our life to conform us to the image of His Son. I would say that we need for Him to perfect us, mature us. That's a process, isn't it? That's an everyday thing. How do you know he's going to do that for you? It's because he loves you and he gave his son. How do you know he's going to provide for you physically? Do you think he provides for you every day with your food, your health, your well-being? Does he do that or is that your job? Now think through, all the way through, before you answer that. Do you stop before you eat to thank him for the fact that he has provided for you once again? You know what, you have at least three opportunities every day to thank him for his provisions then, don't you? Or maybe more. Have you stopped at the end of the day and said, thank you Lord for all you've done for me today. There's so much I don't remember or I wasn't aware of. You've provided the air I breathe. You've provided the land I live on. You've provided my heart uh, the capability to do its job, to keep moving like it should. You've done this. You've done this. You've done this. Have you stopped to talk about that with him? When you wake up in the morning, have you ever said, thank you, Lord. You gave me good rest. Thank you for helping my eyes open <laughs> so I could see. Thank you for helping me with this day. Thank you for what you've already set this day out to be. Do you believe he's already planned your day for you? I do. So I thank him for it. I say, thank you, Lord. All the way through the course of the day, if you would stop to reflect on the fact that the Lord is the one who is with you and providing for you and demonstrating his love for you in all things. And that's what the word is. We would become very grateful people if we would learn that. How will he not? That's quite a way to start this question. How will he not? Let me examine it a little closer for you. Because if you're reading your NIV, if you carry one, you would say, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If you've got an English Standard Version, ESV, you would say, you see, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? The the lexem Uh, version which is a software system says how will he not also together with him freely give us all things the amplified version will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all things I love the way they always do that the Kenneth Weiss the translator uh, Greek teacher says how is it possible that he shall not with him in grace give us all things How is it possible? That's a good way to start this, in the thought. Because the word not, how will he not? You know, when Paul was rummaging around in the desk to find a good word for not, he found the strongest one he could put on the page. Most of the time he goes with ooh. Ooh is just not in the Greek. And it's a simple word to do. But this is ooky. I mean, that's a good word. Practice it sometimes. you like it. Ooky. The kids would say, what? Grandkids will love it. They'll learn to say uki too. Uki is the word not in the strongest form that you could put it in the, in the uh, Old Testament or New Testament. It's intensified. It's strengthened. It says not indeed, not, not at all. And I think it's a great way to see this. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Freely. Is that a good word? That's also in our text. Where many of translations use it. It's freely give, graciously give. It's all in the family of the words for grace and giving. By the way, they go together in the family. Grace and giving go together. They're part of the same family tree in the Greek. Uh, grace does not come with strings attached. Grace is free. That's why they insert the word free in front of it, because some people don't understand a free gift. If somebody called you today on the phone and said, we've got a free gift for you, you know what you're thinking. Yeah, how much is that going to cost me? Right? Because you don't believe people anymore when they say that. It's a free gift. We've got a very skeptical world we live in today. What does it mean when it God, God says, I have freely given you all things? Does that sound like there's strength attached? Does it sound like there's fine print underneath it? The word says, freely given. There's no end to the bounty, if you will. The generosity of our God. Spurgeon said he has given the jewel of the universe, the very eye of heaven. What? Will he not give to us all else really needed and give freely to Now, let me give you another phrase before we get off this real close look at the passage. It also says, with him. And that's very important here, folks. I don't want you to miss this word. Freely give with him. With him. We have nothing apart from him. We have everything with him. If I take you back to that Ephesians passage, which you might want to look that up later and study this, because it's so very important. Every single thing God has done for you in those blessings came with the tag, with Him, in Him, by Him, with Him, in Him, by Him. That's Jesus Christ. That very act of His dying on our behalf opened the door for everything that God intended to give to us. It's with Him, and it's never apart from Him. That is God's choice. That's the avenue he chose. He said, this is the gift of my son, and my son's name will be on everything that comes from it. Everything that comes from it is in my son's name. With him. Nothing else but with him. Every gift of God received is from him. Everything held, everything enjoyed is because of Christ. It's with Him. He didn't just freely give us all things. He gave us freely all things in Him. So here's the fact. Mark it in your thinking. This is what has happened for believers. If you have Jesus Christ, you have these things. We don't just randomly throw out the concept to the whole world. Now, God is very generous and gracious to the world. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust, doesn't he? But these blessings we're talking about, folks, they're for believers. That's because you have a relationship with Jesus. That's God's love for you. That's important. We mark that, too, as we go through this passage. And and you may start to wonder, well, okay, Pastor, you're, you're convincing me of these things, but still, let's go back to that phrase, What is all things? All things. Some say simply, it's all things that are needful for our welfare. And I believe that's true. Because God does provide for all of your welfare. Every single bit of it. The privilege of being a Christian, one said. He has friendship with God. He has been favored in the highest proofs of divine love. He has the assurance that he will receive all that he needs. One said this is the master argument in prayer. Think of it. If we were to understand its force, then we would not be afraid of asking too much. Are you hesitant to ask the Lord for things? You say, well, no, I ask him for things all the time. I mean, things that seem to be impossible. I'm not saying sit around and conjure up something in your mind that's impossible and see if you do it. But that's not what I mean. We did that in college all the time. We came up with ridiculous things all the time that we thought, well, God can't do this, or God can't do that. It was really the effect of pizza at 1130 at night. This made us think goofy. All right? But I have known over the years where i faced days and situations and events that looked like it was absolutely impossible for this to happen. And yet I knew it was needed. And how amazingly God provided every single time. Every single time, God answers. And I'm convinced of that, and I've seen that, and I've enjoyed that. Are we afraid to ask? One person says, we ask too little and we think too small. We ask too little, we think too small. Let me give you a couple of parameters. If you want them for prayer, this is where I'm going to take you. First, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 6, and verse number 8. I want you to listen to the words. And it says in Matthew 6, verse number 8, So, Do not be like them. He's talking about the Gentiles, the unsaved who have no idea what they're doing. They just pray meaninglessly. Blah, 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 blah. They just go on and on. He says, they think they'll be heard from their many words. Jesus says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Think about that. Is that true? He knows what you need even before you ask Him. Now, is that somebody who's paying attention to you? That's a picture of love, by the way. He knows what you need even before you ask Him. I have rested on that verse so many times in my life. That is important to me. Matthew 7, just turn the page maybe, verse number 11. In the same Dialogue, Jesus says, ask. Matter of fact, that's a command. That's not a suggestion. He says, ask. Keep on asking. And it will be given you. Seek, and keep on seeking. And you will find. Knock, and keep on knocking. And it will be opened to you. Say, okay. What's that all about? Don't give up. Don't give up. When you ask, keep asking. You know why he lets you do that? Be a pest. Oh, I didn't mean it that way, but you know what I mean? We have a cat that when it wants in the door, it'll just keep scratching that door until you open it. Very persistent. That's knocking, and keep on knocking. Boom, boom, boom boom boom. boom. It wants in. Have you ever thought that maybe if I brought it up once, I'm not going to pester him about that? When he just said, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And those were commands. Now, let's move on to another one Matthew 7 7. Ask and it will be given to you. There it is. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 19. Look at this phrase. This is in the midst of a passage on what we call church discipline. And in verse 19, again I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Is that an incredible statement? It means share your concerns with others and together go before the throne. Matthew 21, verse number 22. Look at this phrase. In all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. What's the key word in that sentence? Believing... Boy, there is a study for you. That's one of the parameters that goes with this. While we're still here, we're in Mark now. Let's go to chapter 11. I'll keep them going in this direction for you. Mark 11, verse 24. Mark eleven, twenty-four. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Now, is that confidence or what? Believe that you have received them. Now, you're going to start saying, okay, Pastor, you know, we could get ridiculous with this, and we can really start asking for a lot of things. But let me qualify it for you. John 14, way over John chapter 14. These were all the words of Jesus, by the way. And do you think he ever lied to you? No? So listen to his words in John 14. Verse 13. Oops, I'm in Luke. That doesn't look right at all. John 14:13. Okay, this is better. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Look at the next verse. If you ask me anything in my name I will do it. Turn the page, John 15. Maybe it's just a page. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. What's the key there? Abiding. That's a good study, too. Wish we had time. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's a fact. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give to you. He's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about service. And guess what? The Lord provides everything you need for service. Everything you need for service, everything to bear fruit, he provides it for you, each and every time. That's what the promise was made here. Look at John 16, verse number 23. I only have a couple more. In that day, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about after the resurrection. All right? He's about to die, as he's saying these words. And after the resurrection, he says, In that day, you will not question me about anything. (laughs) Isn't that great? After his resurrection, they're going to be convinced. Yes, he is. He is God. He's the one who... The resurrection makes all the difference. He says, In that day... You will not ask me a question of me anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. And in verse 24, until now you have not asked for, you you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be full. There's an interesting thing in this study. If you took the time to see, the word believing, the word abiding. Asking, seeking. We've seen the aggressive nature of prayer. We've seen it lined up next to the great needs of mankind, especially the believer, and the things that they need in order to serve the Lord, and the fact that if we ask in his name, he provides. What does it mean to ask in his name? Is that the magical thing? Is that the abacadaver or whatever you want to call it, to tack on, to make it stick? Is that the password? His name is his reputation. His name is his honor. His name is his glory. Are you asking for what you ask for, for his reputation's sake? Are you asking what you ask for, for his glory's sake? Does it bring him honor in what you ask for? Now does that all set reshape your whole prayer? It's in his name. What Paul has just told us here in Romans
1: is that God
0: is more than willing to give you everything in Jesus' name.
1: That's because he's
0: going to honor his son. He is going to glorify his son. He wants his son's reputation to be set out before this world to show that God loves his children so much he provides for them. He will not abandon them. He will not leave them without. He will not have them without the things that they need for this life and for this ministry. He will never shortchange his children. Never. Now, I said, I'm going to tell you why that's important. Paul is writing the book of Romans at a very, very difficult time in history. The Christians knew suffering. They knew it intensely. You could have asked the Thessalonians, you could have asked the Philippians, you could have asked anybody in that day and age, back in the 50s and 60s A.D., what it was like to be a Christian. And folks, it was hard. It was hard to wear the name of Christ. This world did not love them. This world did everything in their power to take from them. They lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost their families, they lost their health, they were put in jail many times, they lost their freedom, and eventually they lost their lives. They were a great deal of martyrs. They went through very difficult days. Paul is writing a book to somebody who probably felt the full weight of persecution. And he says, guess what? God loves you. And guess what can separate you from God's love? Nothing. Isn't that the rest of the chapter? And guess what he lists? Persecution, famine, nakedness, all those things that they knew so well. And do you think he's being careless and saying, and how will he not with him freely give you all things? Do you think he laughed? you just like, well, what a fun trick this is. Or did he mean that? There were people that had nothing, and yet they had everything. They had Christ. They had Christ. So folks, if you have Christ, what do you lack? If you have Jesus, if you have the love of God, what are you missing? What are you missing? You haven't faced a day like these folks did. You don't know a day like this. If he provided for them, how can he not provide for us? Here's one statement I'm going to finish with. I thought this was really quite something. The argument of selfishness is that he who has done so much need to do no more. The argument of love is this, that he who has done so much is certain to do more. I like that. Which do you think God is showing you today? He's certain to do more. Folks, let's anticipate that. Let's live in light of that. Walk through this day. Not as somebody saying, oh, I don't know if God's going to meet my needs. But be confident. God will. God will. Heavenly Father, we're trying to understand your love. And we do live in a skeptical day. Where love is is questioned, commitment is questioned, promises are questioned. We're never quite sure whether or not it will come about. We see the circumstances of life. We read things in the paper. We wonder about what this day might bring, what this next day might bring. We hold our breath because we think things might be right or things might not be right. And we're never sure. But in this we can be sure. You love us. And you love us intensely. And you have paid such attention to us that all things are ours through Jesus Christ. And we shall not lack. We will not lack. Because our God loves us. Work in our hearts and help us to grasp this in the way that it ought to be understood. Not that we might become careless, not that we might become greedy, not that we might become selfish, but that we might see that in our God we do overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus Christ. Help us to understand it, Lord, and live in light of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.